0: Well, good morning again. Uh, we are in the third week of, in a series on the minor prophets of the Old Testament. Jonah happens to be unique among this group because, for a couple of reasons. One, because here we have a full storyline, a coherent story, rather than just a, a compilation of prophecies, which that happens to be more the case with most of the other minor prophets. So with Jonah, we're going to slow down to spend a few weeks listening to his story, and then we'll continue on after that with themes from the rest of the minor prophets. Jonah is unique for another reason because of where he is called to prophesy. So most of the other prophets are called to prophesy from their home location, from Israel. Now, they might speak of other nations and give oracles about other nations, but they're not necessarily called to go to those other nations. But Jonah is called, specifically called, to go and prophesy in the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city to this superpower nation of Assyria. And Assyria will eventually be the nation that God uses to judge Israel for their rebellion against him. So At this point, even while Jonah is going to prophesy, relations between Assyria and Israel are already icy. Uh, It would be an understatement to say that Israel doesn't look kindly on the city of Nineveh and the nation of Assyria. For one, Nineveh was wicked. God says this here to Jonah, as Dan just read to us. Their evil has risen up before God. Another minor prophet, Nahum, says this later. He calls Nineveh the bloody city, full of lies and plunder with no end to their prey. An Israelite, like Jonah, viewed Nineveh as an evil, bully nation. And he was pretty spot on in assessing Nineveh that way. So why is Jonah called to go to Nineveh? Well, because Israel is to be a light to the nations. Israel was to be God's agent for blessing the rest of the world. One of the most pivotal statements of the whole Bible is when God says this to the patriarch Abraham in the book of Genesis, in you all the nations shall be blessed. These few words set the trajectory for God's plans for Israel and for God's plans for the church. In you the nations shall be blessed. Jonah is sent to Nineveh so that Nineveh might turn from their sin and receive the light of God. Your deeds are evil. Repent. Turn. Now herein lies a second reason a prophet like Jonah would tuck tail and run at the thought of prophesying to Nineveh. Because the idea of Jonah prophesying to Nineveh means that God could show her mercy. That God would even consider the idea as anathema to Jonah. Why would you show mercy to Nineveh? This could sound a little petulant, like nothing any of us would do, but I want you to bear with me. Israel knows that they have not been faithful to God themselves. They know this. They're like an older sibling who's been living on the edge. Israel has been on the brink of their own ruin. If younger brother Nineveh gets right, if God shows mercy to Nineveh, it looks really bad for older brother Israel. Jonah's running is an exercise in self-preservation. It's an attempt to preserve Israel's dignity over against Nineveh's lack of dignity. We all do this type of thing in smaller scale ways. We use others' guilt as a way of propping ourselves up a little bit making ourselves feel just a little bit better. But if we discover that God is forgiving another's guilt, or that he wants to forgive them, we we sort of lose a leg to stand on. We can't prop ourselves up as much anymore. So as a whole, here's what the story of Jonah is about. It's about learning to die to ourselves so that we can become a bright light to the world, to our little corner of the world. Learning to die to ourselves so that we can become a bright light to our corner of the world. So over the next few weeks, we're going to come back to this question. How does God help us die to ourselves so that we can become this bright light that He wants us to be in our home, in our families, in our vocations, in our corners of God's kingdom? So this morning, we're going to look at chapter 1. Now here's what happens first in this story. God speaks. This is the first thing that happens. God speaks. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. God's personal word to Jonah creates the occasion for Jonah's most important decisions. We read things like this, and we assume that these were one-off kinds of relationship to God. We can't have this kind of relationship to God ourselves. God doesn't speak to us this way. But the reality is that for those who live in relationship to God, God's Word overflows from Scripture through the Spirit, and it speaks to the inner parts of our lives. This is what we heard from our New Testament reading in Hebrews 4 from that read, Stephen read to us. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's Word here, it's characterized as this active force that penetrates and reshapes the inner architecture of our lives. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of your heart. You know, one way of saying this is that instead of thinking when we open the Bible that we're reading Scripture, maybe we should be thinking that Scripture's actually reading us. We're standing under it, sitting under it, and it is reading our lives. It's saying what's right and what's wrong within us. God's Word is active, not static, it's active. And the more Scripture becomes a part of our lives, the more God speaks through the Spirit to apply Scripture to us. So here's a way of seeing what happens to Jonah. Okay, Jonah knows his version of the Bible. Jonah knows that God told Abraham, in you all the nations will be blessed. He knows this. But Israel's been growing in animosity toward the nations. They've received God's blessings to mean that they are better, somehow more deserving of God's mercy than other nations are. As Israel's pride is swelling to a a pitch, a fever point, God applies his word to Jonah. He excavates the thoughts and intentions of Jonah's heart by calling him to do the thing that he least wants to do. Arise, Jonah. Go to Nineveh. That people that you despise. If we listen, God does the same things to us. He speaks to us right at the places where our lives are crooked. The one that you're holding a grudge against, go to them, pray for them. The issue you're fearful of confronting, go. God's word usually comes to the areas of our life where we're most resistant, where anger or fear have constructed up a wall. And God says, that wall is going to have to come down. Now, churches like ours are usually very good at recognizing the authority of the Bible as God's word. Now, if you're visiting especially, I hope that you recognize this is important to us. And, and if you're a member of Church of the Lamb if, and you've forgotten this, be reminded this is very important to us. We believe genuine Christian faith is rooted in a full revelation of Scripture, the Old and New Testaments. But here, what we're seeing in Jonah and Hebrews is that God also speaks to us personally out of an overflow of Scripture. The things God says to us personally can never contradict Scripture. They can never trump Scripture. If you think you've heard something from God that's contradictory to Scripture, you've heard wrong. That's not the case. But you should also expect that if you listen to God in Scripture, He's going to speak to you. In the midst of your ongoing day-to-day life, your relationships, your work, and when God speaks to you, He's going to reshape you. He's going to move the furniture around in your life. This is the first way that God helps us die to ourselves and become light. He speaks. This is how Jonah's whole situation arises. God speaks. Now, here's the second thing that happens in the story Jonah runs for it. God speaks. Jonah runs for it. Specifically, we're told that Jonah wishes to flee from the presence of the Lord. If you have your Bible open to Jonah and you like to underline in it, I do recommend underlining verse 3. This is an important verse in the whole story. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Somebody who wrote this is laughing because of the way we're having to say Tarshish over and over again and not pronouncing it correctly, probably. But Jonah wants to go somewhere where God does not speak, where he won't be bothered with God's nagging voice. We don't know exactly where Tarshish was located. It could have been Spain, but regardless, the idea is it's the very opposite direction to Nineveh. Nineveh's to the east, Tarshish and the sea are to the west. Now, I want us to notice one more thing in the process of Jonah making this run for it. He goes to a lot of trouble. It might not sound like much, but there's an accumulation of action words in verse 3. Jonah rose to flee. He took a trip, went down to Joppa. He searched and found a ship going. He pays the fare and he goes down into the ship. Jonah's running from God involves a frenzy of other activity. And this is the way it usually goes when you're running from God. Running from God, disobedience, usually happens in a frenzy of other things. They don't have to be bad things on the surface, but in the midst of the frenzy, we shut out God. We become deaf to the voice of God. Obedience, on the other hand, usually begins when we're willing to steal away the time from the frenzy and become still. Still to listen to God, and listen to the voice within of God's Spirit redirecting us. So, the first part of the story is that God speaks. The second part of the story is that Jonah runs. The third part of the story is that rebellion is exposed. Rebellion is exposed. What Jonah does is foolish in every single direction. It is illogical. First of all, Jonah knows he cannot really escape from God. So the words that are used here, that Jonah wishes to flee from the presence of the Lord, these are the same words that are used in another passage of Scripture. Psalm 139, where the psalmist asks this, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? The answer to the question is absolutely nowhere. There's nowhere you can go that you can escape from the presence of the Lord. If I go to Sheol, you are there. If I go to the heavens, you're there. Anywhere I go, you're there. Jonah knew this. Now also, when the sailors ask Jonah who he is, he tells them that he serves the God of the sea, the God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea. Why would he try to flee by the sea if he serves the God who is Lord of the sea? Why would you do this? The only answer is, it's illogical. Jonah knows all this. This is part of the point. Much of our running from God as human beings makes little to no sense, especially in the long run. The trouble is believing this in the short run that it's going to make no sense. Now, from the moment that Jonah heads to Tarshish, his life literally begins to go downhill. So if you, if you read the passage carefully, we're told that Jonah goes down to Joppa on the coast. He goes down into the ship. The storm starts raging on the sea. Jonah's sleeping below in the hold of the ship. So to calm the sea, the sailors throw him down into the sea, and he sinks down, down, down. Jonah's life literally goes downhill from the time he starts to flee from God, when he refuses to be a light to Nineveh. His lowest point, though, is when the sailors ask him what they should do. You know, here's the strange part. The people, the only people being ethical in this situation, it's not the Israelite who says he follows God. It's these Gentile sailors. Jonah had told them already, throw me into the sea. That's the only way you're going to stop this thing. But they don't want to be guilty of murder. So they try their hand at everything they can to get things to settle down. Pray to your God. Maybe he'll listen. Jonah says, no, you're going to have to throw me overboard. You know who has not prayed yet in this situation? Jonah. To pray would have required Jonah to admit defeat before God. Okay, God, you win. It would have required him to die to himself. But instead, Jonah tells him again, throw me over. Do you see what's happened here? Jonah would rather literally die than spiritually die. He would rather literally die than have to die to himself and do what God has asked him to. To do. And this too is the nature of rebellion, of running from God. Death appears as the last possible escape. People have said that there are worse things than death. And sometimes dying to aspects of yourself looks like one of these. It feels worse than just dying and having it over with. Now, here is the fourth and the final part of this first scene of Jonah. God redeems death. God redeems death. Jonah, determined to die, has the sailors throw him into the sea. Now, we hear what happens to Jonah, but we also hear what happens to the sailors. They're converted. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows. Uh, think about this from the perspective of Jonah. Jonah has fleed from the face of Yahweh, the Lord. He doesn't want to be a prophet anymore. You see what Jonah wants to do? He wants to forsake his vocation. Surely there's something better here. But it's harder to stop being a prophet than Jonah realizes. In the midst of his descent and his flight, he converts a shipload of Gentile sailors. Against his own will, Jonah becomes a light in spite of himself. He becomes a light to to the Gentiles, even as the Gentiles think they're killing him. So Jonah functions as a prophet, even while he's trying to run away from it. So going back to our question that's going to be over this series on Jonah, how does God help us, die to ourselves, and become a light? How does He help us? At the heart of our deepest and our darkest attempts to run from God, God is still there. This is how God helps us. He's still there. He's seeking, even at those deepest and darkest points, to bring us back from our resistance to Him. draw us back. And his presence with us at these points is as one, it is as one who has willingly laid down his life. You see, Jonah is so close to being like Jesus, and at the same time, he is so different. He asks to be thrown into the sea and killed for the sake of the sailors. But Jonah has no hope of regaining his life. In fact, that's the last thing that Jonah would want is to get his life back. Because that means he still has to do the thing that he doesn't want to do. Jesus, on the other hand, lays down his life for us so that we can learn. So that we can learn to willingly lay down our lives with the hope, that we're going to receive it back more full than we had it before. That we will receive it back more full than we had it before we laid it down. How does God help us to die to ourselves and become a light? Well, first He speaks. His Word overflows into our lives and is applied to the inner parts of our lives. And then following our tucking tail and running, if we do like Jonah did, and the foolishness of our running being exposed to us. God in His mercy brings redemption. Despite the way that we can make a mess of things around us, we cannot completely escape God, no matter how much we want to. And this is a good thing. Because in His mercy, God can bring redemption into our mess. If he could do this with Jonah, surely he can do it with us. And he will do this with us. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.